to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christopherson, Michael Brunts. Gentlemen, how are you on this Thursday as opposed to however you were on that Tuesday? BC, he's had a big day. That's what we hear. Yeah, Not the biggest day. He had a research day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've, I'm trying to buy a car. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on here, but I currently drive a 2004 Toyota Corolla with 224,000 miles. So it's, it's, I know this is not the ideal time to go out and buy a car, but the, the dealers seem to appreciate seeing uh, a warm body walk through the door. So there's that. So how, how close are you to getting this thing over the finish line? Pretty close. There was some serious uh, negotiating going on. And as you could guess, I, uh, I drive a pretty hard bargain. So I said, I need a night. I need a night to think about it. Stop pressuring me. And actually the lady was really nice, but uh, uh, they do put the heat on you pretty good there at the end. It's sort of like, we're going to get you in this car, right? You know, it's, this is going to happen. And you're talking to a guy who hasn't bought a car in 13 years. It's a little, it's just a little overwhelming for, uh, for, for this guy. They've kind of lost the leverage, though, because it's not like there's going to be a ton of people rolling through there probably in the next 48 hours looking to buy a car. So you're saying uh, you're questioning my negotiations. That's no, interesting. What, I'm, what I'm saying is, is you're holding all the cards here. So I, I think that you're in a good spot. I thought so, too, but I realize I'm not a good negotiator. They, they, I've, they could probably talk me up a couple thousand bucks and I'd end up being like, yeah, that makes sense. The more you talk about it, that's kind of how my, I work. So like you could, you could convince me like to, to go up in price and I'd probably be like, Oh, well you did make some good points there. <laughs> did they get tired of you writing your number on the piece of paper and sliding it across <laughs> the table every time? That's the only way I do it. You know that. <laughs> I assume that's how all deals are made. So I believe that's true. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that was my morning. Yeah, well, that's a productive morning. It, you didn't get the deal done, but you have the, the framework of something. Now you have to go home and think about it. And every time you look at your car, it could be the last time that you drive it. So what, what's, the, yeah. what's the coaching parlance that, that would probably describe this, barring any unforeseen obstacles? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope they're not listening because this could uh, this could ruin my leverage a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it all signs are pointing to this is uh, all signs are pointing to a new deal, but a deal by tomorrow. And if anybody is wondering what the value of a 2004 Toyota Corolla with 224,000 miles is, you can get 700 big bucks for that bad boy. So there you go. Hey, the money will come in handy. Have you got either of you guys posted in the uh, the Black Hills Red thread about your first car? What was your first car? Mine was a uh, it was a green '93 Toyota Camry that had the oh, nice. the base for a um, car phone in it. There was no car phone receiver, but it had like the little cradle there. So if I wanted to, you know, put out the money for like a bag phone type situation, I could have, I could have really been uh, balling around West Omaha, like early, let's see, it'd be right around the year 2000. So. Camry's pretty what good. Buggy, what buggy did you have? Uh, my whip was, uh, I think they call them whips. 
Um, it was a 94 Oldsmobile Achieva. It was red and it got totaled. Um, oh. Yeah, after a few years when I was in college. But yeah, it was, that was a nice little car and it actually handled surprisingly well in the snow. So it got totaled. If I have this right, if I have your bio right, this got totaled during your street racing days. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I zapped up that uh, Achieva pretty good, um, and and went went after it uh, on the on the dirt roads back there. But uh, I, it was not. It wasn't probably street legal what I was driving. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. What was yours, Schaefer's? I had an 89, I think it was 89, 89 Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was the first of what would be three straight Jeeps before I moved off of Jeep life into uh, an Altima and then now the Soccer Mom Rogue. So, so at 89, that's like almost like Wagoneer territory, right? Uh, yeah, I, it definitely wasn't a Wagoneer. It was a, it was a Grand Cherokee. Um, it was the first car my dad had ever bought new in his life and he cared very much for that car for a long time and then it got passed to my brother and then eventually passed to me and then he got that car back after i moved on to another vehicle and would just use that instead of his truck or whatever else to get around town it was ultimately sold to some poor sap for 400 bucks and i think it lasted like one more year before it finally crapped out what would you guys say was the most, when you were in college, what vehicle do you think was being used around campus the most? Did you see in the student parking lot? There was a lot of Chevy Cavaliers. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Back uh, in the, uh, the the early 2000s around Abel Hall. I'd say that was probably the most popular. So Pontiac with the Grand Am or whatever, was that? There was a Sunfire. Yeah, yeah, so I was thinking Pontiac Sunfire is what I Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking of. A lot of those. A lot of people had like 2003 Pontiac Sunfires. Yeah. Right around that range of time. So. That, was a, that was a good car talk right there. Yeah. <laughs> Look at us. We're car guys now. <laughs> yeah. Start a car podcast on the weekends. Just talking about <laughs> old crappy cars. You've been yeah. listening to the Grease Monkey 24-7 podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You don't like the term grease monkey, Mike. <laughs> That's what I learned in Seinfeld. <laughs> Should we talk about some sports? Yeah, we can yeah. talk about stuff that we allegedly know. Should, uh, there, this, I guess, qualifies as breaking news nowadays, um, or at least something that we can talk about that's somewhat current. Uh, Cam Mack decides to uh, enter the transfer portal for Nebraska basketball. Uh, not really a surprise based on kind of what the expectations were in the program of what he would eventually do. Uh, but he will be moving on, uh, keeping his name in the uh, NBA draft sweepstakes. Uh, you know, hasn't hired an agent, but he will be uh, not back at Nebraska. What do you guys make of that in terms of overall impact for next season and where things stand for Nebraska basketball? Brian, we'll start with you. Uh um on the court i enjoyed watching cam mac uh when he was really when he had it all going together and when he was dialed in he was an exciting player to watch in a terrible season you know i mean it was a, it was fun to watch somebody who 
was that quick with the basketball in his hands. You heard all the hype about that before he got here. And I would say that part was definitely true. And there were times where he would pull some passes out where he would see the floor where you're like, man, he he's, can be an elite passer. He could be an elite point guard. Uh, but there was always that sort of off-the-court stuff, which I just didn't know how long this marriage could last. And, you know, he was tardy for some meetings, and that would – cause him to miss starts and then of course when it ended the last week when he didn't play I the last two or three games um, got sent home from the Minnesota game it just felt like the writing was on the wall then and then especially when they got Kobe Webster and you heard Kobe Webster in, in his interviews talk about yeah they're talking about me playing the point and all this it felt like they had already they were making their plans for life without Cam at that point. I feel like for me, the Cam Mack era peaked on what day was this? When they played Michigan at home in January. It was like the end of January. It was like January 28th. I can't get the exact date. Um, but it, it was January 28th. He hit five threes in that game. He was five of seven. He opened the game with a three-pointer, put Nebraska up 3 nothing right away. He got the arrows out. He was ready to go. And he played really well in that game. He kept Nebraska around. I think they only ended up losing by, what, 11 points. And he pulled them back a couple times <laughs> in the first half when they were down. I mean, this was during their whole run. of They would play the first half really well. And then the second half, the depth of the other team and generally the talent of the other team hold it away but he had a really nice game in that game he scored 19 points um he was uh he was just solid in that contest and he was five of seven from three and that just kind of felt like okay like this guy is really really good he had 19.7 rebounds nine assists in a game in which nebraska lost 79 68 ahead 17 points out of kevin cross 17 points out of cheatham and 19 points out of mac no points out of Wadrago in that game and a little bit from Burke and Thor. I mean, there's such a depleted team that he had to have those sorts of efforts. And that's when it was like at its absolute best. And then if you look at his game log from that point forward, it just kind of dropped off and then it became kind of apparent. And you, you heard the rumors and everything that it just, it wasn't a great fit. There was stuff that obviously, didn't go particularly well at times, um, but he's a very talented guy. I mean, he went from 19 points against Michigan to zero points against uh, Penn State, and then followed that. He had four points against Maryland in that game, lost by two points on the road. I mean, it just it felt like that was sort of the the peak, and everything kind of went down from there. The the, the thing that you know. I, I agree with what you guys said. I mean, there, there was a point late in the season where it was pretty clear that this this marriage was going to be ending for for as good as he was, and and you know as, as much as this offense kind of fit him, I think as a point guard. Um, you know, the the thing that's disappointing to me is he's a guy that I think would have really benefited from a full off season with Fred Hoiberg, and as good as he was this year, I mean, you know, he had averaged over six assists a game, which, uh, and as Brian said, you know, made some passes that haven't been seen in, in Nebraska in a long time. But the numbers that stand out to me, he was 38% from the field. He was 57% from the free throw line. And he was 34% from the three-point line. 
And I feel like he's a guy that if he was willing to put in the work, if he was willing to, you know, really kind of dig in with Fred Hoiberg, he could have really improved those numbers. And when you add more scoring punch, more consistent punch, like Mike said, I mean, there were some games where he was on fire and there were some games where offensively he was just a non-factor. Um, you know, I, I think that would benefit him so much more. I mean, I don't think he's ready for the NBA by any means, um, you know, based on uh, – Size, for one. Yeah, I mean, it, defense, it's not there either. I mean, I, I think he's a guy that when he's got the ball in his hand is intriguing. But, you know, maybe that's just a, a way to, to get, you know, overseas and, and start making money. I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I just think he would have been intriguing as a – a developmental guy going into the next season because, you know, I, I just think the, the framework was there and they were just – you needed to kind of rearrange the furniture a little bit, so to speak, if you're Fred Hoiberg. I think he would have been interesting if if he had showed up at Nebraska in like year three or four of the Hoiberg era when it, if you kind of had the ground set and you had some really good players around him and there was sort of a culture already installed – and he didn't have to be at the very beginning of it. I think Kobe Webster, just I'm going off a of personality, off of interviewing him, and, and you guys have talked to him. I just think he's more of that the type of guy they need right now while they're trying to stabilize it. And then after you get that foundation and culture set a little bit, I could see where Cam Mack, where it might have been a different story here, but that wasn't how the, the timeline worked out. Yeah, I – I agree with that entirely. I think that the weight of leadership this last year was pretty evident with some of the issues that they kind of had, and you have that. I mean, you had a mercenary team. I mean, you didn't have roots that were built into this roster and guys that have been here for a long time beyond Thor. And, uh, I mean, one of the things that I think should give anybody some hope is that if you look at the development of Thor from just his last year with Miles and his first year with Hoiberg and what they were able to do with him, I mean, Wade Ogo, I have a lot of excitement about what he could be. We'll see if Kevin Cross is with this roster, you know, going forward. And some of these other guys I expect to be there a lot longer than what we've seen so far. But I, uh, I continue to, to feel very good about where Nebraska basketball is heading, despite how ugly last year was at times. And despite the fact that, you know, you're losing a guy in Cam Mack that's a very good player. You lost a guy in Gervais Green that could help in some regards, but he wouldn't, he wasn't a good fit with this team. Um, I, I just have, I don't know. It, it might just be blind faith because it can't be built on too much in terms of evidence, but I really think that these guys have a recipe for how they want to win, how they want to build their team. And I think they're going to be successful doing it. So this leaves where this leaves Nebraska. Um, Brian, you mentioned Kobe Webster coming in as a grad transfer from Western Illinois. I think he's going to be, your your option at, at point guard or your number one option at point guard. I think you're going to see Delano Banton uh, running some sets for Nebraska in their offense. He's got the skill to do that. He's a total mismatch uh, running the point uh, in, in terms of just length and size. And what you know, the the departure of Mac leaves Nebraska with two open scholarships, and they're obviously still pursuing guys. Uh, you know, not only in the high school ranks, but also uh, in the transfer ranks as well. So, uh, 
you know, it could potentially open the door to Nebraska to bring in uh, a couple of sit-out transfers, guys that can kind of go through that process together. That's something that Fred Hoiberg has said that he likes to do uh, if he can, is kind of pair those guys up. So uh, just a little bit more wiggle room now in, in the scholarship numbers uh, for Nebraska to kind of make this work. So uh, I just think, you know, you're going to have to rely a lot on, on Kobe Webster, and that's why you go get a grad transfer uh, that they can kind of plug that gap for you a little bit. All right, you guys ready to transition to some Vegas talk? Yes. Yep. Vegas, baby. Vegas. Do you split kings at the blackjack table, Brunts? Double down. You double down on kings? <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> advice possible. No, you don't split kings. You always double down. No. <laughs> no, this is terrible. People do not listen to this advice. It's bad. All right, let's free gambling let's advice. You get what you pay for. <laughs> That's fair. That is true. All right. Um, we have – is this the first line that we have on the season for a win total so far? Uh, I, I saw an earlier one, and it wasn't this high. This is high. Uh, well, we had the the stuff in February came out with uh, the ESPN FPI and those kinds of metrics. Um, yeah, that's not real. Well, no, it's not. Um, it's something that they just pull out of a hat. Which, frankly, this win total might also have been pulled out of a hat. I don't know. Well, but, it feels that way. It feels uh, like who is it? The DraftKings Sportsbook, um, which is a real thing, I'm told, uh, released their over-under numbers for win totals for a lot of teams, Nebraska being one of them. Nebraska's over-under eight wins. How – Quickly, are you guys going to run out and bet whatever money you can on this thing, even though it's probably just going to be a free four-month loan to DraftKings? I am going to text my bookie as we record this right now. So, Brian, have at it. Yeah, eight wins is a number, huh? I I can't – no, I can't see that uh, betting that way. I can can see Nebraska surprising because I think when Nebraska – breaks through I think they it'll be kind of just sudden and a a busting down of the door when some people are really skeptical I'm not positive that's the next season or if it's a year or two beyond that Uh, but as far as just putting my money on the table my $700 that I just got from my Toyota Corolla no I'm not gonna go do that when They've only won 13 games the last three years. I, I think that's getting a – and the schedule's hard. The back end, the last five games are really tough. And the non-conference is sneaky, difficult too. The Purdue game's going to mean a ton. This is all, of course, under the assumption we're playing a, a normal schedule and all that. Uh, but Cincinnati's going to be a ranked team. South Dakota State's going to be a dogfight. Um even Central Michigan, you know, had a good year last year. So um, Nebraska is going to need to – they have little margin for error, and yet they're going to need to go basically 6-0 uh, against what I think are some toss-up games early on to have a shot at that Vegas number. So look well, at the, over. I mean, if you're saying over, you're saying nine wins. So they have to basically go 6-0 and to then kind of go 3-2 and in those final five. Or, well, excuse me, go um, – three and three in those final six. 
they had Iowa's number at seven and a half for next year. Is that a little bit more? Does it, does that give you a little bit more pause that line that that Are maybe they changed Iowa's number in the last decade? It's always seven and a half. Because eight is a magic number for Ferentz to get an extra. Estimate. Yeah, you could probably buy seventeen Corollas for the amount of money you would have made if you would have kept <laughs> betting the over on that line against Iowa. Uh, new Corollas or Brian's Corollas? Brian's Corollas. Okay. I love that car, by the way. I don't want anybody to take any of this talk as me bad mouthing that sweet, sweet ride. So, um, so the consensus is, is that that over under for Nebraska seems a tad high. Yeah. I what what number would you guys put it at? I mean, I I think it's like six or you know six, six is half the, number. the number that I would set it at. Yeah, six yeah. and a half would make me sweat a little bit. I mean, if we were picking the season today, I would have Nebraska at six and six, and even that, I don't know. I I think maybe the the high end upside is to get to eight and four, and then the low end is they could be five and seven again or four and eight. But um, six and six kind of feels like the sweet spot to me. So to see uh, a service put in eight um, to put in eight wins as the as the number. I mean, that's just crazy to me to be honest but who knows starting, if we'll be able to make money off of that given where we are with the football season starting october 31st at ohio state penn state home at iowa at wisconsin minnesota that's the five game run to finish it off so the first seven games um i don't know how many wins of those five i just named off you would give them you know nebraska probably isn't favored in any of them uh at this moment uh, so, so yeah, I just, I don't know why they would arrive at that, that number. And I'm not discounting. That's the beauty of sports as teams surprise all the time. And like I say, I think I have always had this feeling in the Scott Frost era, when they do get it going, it's just going to happen when everybody's doubting and they're going to, you know, all of a sudden have a great year. Uh, I just think with the schedule, it's a lot to ask this season. Should we take a break so everybody can go text their bookies now? I was informed that uh, that line is not currently accepted at the moment. So, all right. Well, uh, when we come back, we are going to discuss Nebraska's wide receiver play that you could potentially expect in the 2020 season. And we'll also get into a little chat about recruiting and a latest change from the NCAA as it relates to the recruiting calendar. All of that and more on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am still Mike Schaefer. It's still Brian Christopherson. Unclear about Bronx. Nobody knows. Could be an entirely different person. Uh, Also, congratulations to the Husker 24-7 message board. 10 years old. No, nine years old. Nine years old. Nine years old. I'm not great at math. Nine years old as of yesterday. Uh, so that's exciting. Still, uh, still kicking. So good times. Brunson and I actually met in the press box the spring game in 2011. Uh, if he would have known at that time that I would be his coworker, I think he would have probably passed on the job entirely. But here we are. I, I was too, uh, dialed in on Jamal Turner's breakout day that that uh, that early spring afternoon indeed uh do we want to go let's get the recruiting out of the way first because I don't think there's a whole lot to say on this not a big surprise to me but apparently a big surprise to some people the NCAA has instituted a change in their policy the dead period will extend until May 31st that means no off-campus recruiting no on-campus recruiting Everything Nebraska or any other program does would have to be via text or phone or email or snail mail. So it, again, leaves them in a bit of a pattern in which you have to be creative with recruiting. But I I felt like this was a fairly obvious thing that was going to happen. I mean, you weren't going to have coaches going on the road, regardless of whether it was the evaluation period. They can't go anywhere. One, you have travel that's shut down. But two, you also have no high schools in session. You can't go recruit these guys off campus. So they have to be at the high schools, and the high schools are opening back up so they could be recruited. So this was a fairly straightforward thing. So I don't think it would have caught anybody by surprise, at least working in the football office yesterday when the NCAA announced it. Nebraska, as we have seen, has been very active with recruiting. They have been working on a number of uh targets around the country. They have been offering guys in 2022. They've been offering guys in 2021. Uh, they are continuing to to recruit and continuing to try to schedule visits in June and try to lock things up as much as possible. But you know, we're not going to know uh, what the long-term effects of this shutdown is as it relates to college football for some time. Talking with some people, uh, Steve Wolfon being one of them, he mentioned something that I think is, is fairly – likely that should this get off the ground the guys that commit during this time period that commit before they're able to take visits are more than likely going to attempt to take visits during this year and then potentially would be the ones that you'd have on flip watch towards the end of the year so it could set up for a very wild finish in recruiting as well so uh, again no visitors coming to campus anytime soon or at least not before june no coaches can go anywhere so it's still a holding pattern in recruiting I was talking to, to uh, James Carney, the, the tight end uh, at, at Norris, and he's kind of had an interesting last couple of weeks since everything kind of shut down. Uh, it's kind of seen his recruitment take off. I think he pretty much has an offer from everybody in the MAC now. He's starting to work his way through the Mountain West. But he's the, the kind of guy who has options now but is hearing from a number of programs in Nebraska, Northwestern, uh, K-State, uh, kind of among those, Iowa State, I think, too. But he's in a tough spot because a lot of those Power 5 schools want to see him in person 
and they want to see him work out. And, you know, I, I think guys like him are sweating June a little bit because if you're not able to get off campus or get on campus and, and, and make visits and, and camp, it's going to be tough, I, I think, for schools to maybe take chances on offering these kids. So how that plays out over the next few weeks, you know, because they're going to have to make that decision pretty quickly, I think, will be interesting to follow from the recruit point of view because you've got a lot of kids that are hoping to get out on and, and kind of, you know, earn some offers. And they might not have the chance to do that unless you look at really flipping around the recruiting calendar a little bit. I could see it benefit a couple of kids too, like Heinrich Harburg, is an example at Kearney Catholic like he's he was telling me over the weekend that he was getting a ton of phone calls you know and it's because he feels like more coach, coaches have more time to kind of look into him and now where it gets interesting with a guy like Harburg who Nebraska is interested in but hasn't offered yet is our programs like Nebraska with those guys willing to take that next step and offer without necessarily seeing him throw in person or just going off the video and so a lot of schools are having to kind of reevaluate what's our procedure to offering a guy at this moment. Do, we maybe can't go through all eight steps or whatever it is that we usually do. We might have to go through five or six of them and then and come to a conclusion whether we want the guy or not. So that's kind of interesting to me. I guess the other thing is, is it, are we to the point where we're ready to say February signing day is like a thing again this year? Do you think you expect that? we have uh, got to there where it's, it's going to really be a, be a show again. No, I think coaches are going to try to push and, and get guys to sign as much as possible in December. And you'll still have those same guys that'll hold out or that want to see if their value improves in January. But what it is, is that the staff want to be able to go out and recruit the 2022 class in January. So I think they'll try as much as possible to get as many guys to sign in 2021, leave as small a group as possible for them to recruit um, in, in, excuse me, recruit in January to try to finish it off in that February period. I, there'll be a couple spots, sure, but I don't anticipate, you know, this changes a whole lot because that December period still looms and that's ultimately what programs will work towards. And regardless of what happens with the football season, you're still going to have a signing day in December. It might look different. It might be weird. You might not have senior film to evaluate guys on, but you're still going to have a class that's still going to be coming in. And you can bet that teams like Nebraska and others are going to try to push as much as possible to get a bulk of that class done in that December timeframe. It'll be interesting, though, because, you know, in, in some ways, the, the senior film is kind of like a validation of guys that commit early. And there's a chance you won't have that. And – like I, it's, it's really going to put pressure on evaluations that you made in January to, you know, what, what you think about guys. I mean, I, in thinking about kind of who this benefits, I think that the, the longer this kind of drags on with no visits and no, no camps or, or whatever, I just think it really benefits schools that are closer to talent schools that yeah, absolutely were were able to get guys on campus early. I mean, Nebraska did a great job of that, but I mean, it's it's a whole different ball of wax when you're talking a Florida school versus Nebraska trying to convince a kid from Florida to you know look at him or commit or, or do whatever uh, without the the benefit of a visit. Yeah, I completely completely agree with that, and 
Um, that's what Nebraska. This is this is what hurts. I mean, you had that strong finish in December last year in the state of Florida. You have Travis Fisher, who's well regarded in that area. You have guys like Cameron Kinchins, who wants to come out for a visit in April and can't. Terrence Lewis wants to come out for a visit in April and can't. You have some other guys in Florida. Nebraska has to figure out how to keep these guys to not commit somewhere or at the very least lock in on taking an official visit when they can have those. And then what becomes a different sort of question is, okay, you get into June. Like, let's say in June you can start having visits again. I'm not betting on that. I would not tell anyone to bet on that. But let's say that's what happens. Then it becomes really interesting if you're Nebraska, do you try to get in this arms race of getting one of those immediate visits in June? or do you just kind of fall back to the idea that your game day experience is what sets you apart from any other, and so then you want those guys to try to come in during the season? I mean, that's, that's where it's going to get really sort of interesting. I would think that you have a mixture, of course, but with some of those kids from Florida, if you couldn't get them in in April, and maybe you were banking on the spring game, maybe at that point you kick the can down the road and you try to bring them in for Cincinnati or for – Illinois in October, you know, so um, those are the kinds of discussion. Like, this is what's hard about this is you have to be very adaptable. And I think that's where Nebraska's recruiting staff and their organizational skills is going to help them out in the long term. Because you, you have to have these conversations. You have to be willing to think about scenarios that um, change things for you. But I, I think they're willing to do that and they're going to be as flexible as possible. Uh, you know, as it relates to Nebraska too, um, you know, the, obviously the scholarship guys are a big part of it. How they kind of recruit the walk-on program or whatever their walk-on class will be fascinating too uh, if they're limited by camp stuff because that's where they, they get a, a, a good look at guys going into their senior year. You know, the, those are in, – in most cases, I feel like senior film is really big for those guys to, to kind of confirm – that, you know, they're a, a walk-on type guy worth taking a chance on. And, you know, that, that's, that's another piece of it that maybe I guess probably doesn't get talked about as much because it's kind of unique to Nebraska. But, you know, the fewer evaluation opportunities that you have for guys like that, I think it, it, uh, it's kind of doing a disservice to the kids a little bit, which is too bad. Well, if there's one thing that people should be thankful for is that this is happening. <laughs> uh, let me rephrase that because I'm just going to sound like a pompous asshole. Sorry. But one thing that people should, should appreciate as it relates to the college football situation with Nebraska is that this is happening several years after a coaching transition. Imagine being Mel Tucker in Michigan State right now. Imagine being Mike Norvell in Florida State. Yes, you're around a lot of t- a talent, but you haven't had a chance to really build relationships to sell people to come to Tallahassee. So it, it you know – it could be a lot worse for Nebraska because they've had a lot of their top guys on campus. Not all of them, not a lot of those kids from Florida, but at least in terms of the region, they've built really strong relationships that are going to be able to hold up with this thing uh, relative to where some of these coaching staffs are finding themselves because they're just now going through their first cycle, uh, first full cycle. And so that, I think that's a good thing for Nebraska because they're, they were able to work ahead. All right, let's, uh, let's finish this up here with a hypothetical question. Gentlemen, assuming the season gets played 
And then you can assume whatever you want as it relates to Xavier Betts and Omar Manning. Who leads Nebraska – and J.D. Spielman should be added. Who leads Nebraska in receiving in 2020? Who wants to start? I think Brunt should. Yeah, Brunt. All right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a kind of guy that I play the averages, right, as, as my gambling advice in the first segment proved. What are you doubling down on, Brunt? Everything. Doubling down on everything. So, obviously, there's questions about whether J.D. Spielman's going to be in a Nebraska uniform in the fall, if he's going to be playing football. I mean, there's a lot of questions around that. Um, there's obviously some unknowns with Omar Manning's situation and Xavier Betts' situation, especially now that you have the kind of school year being thrown into flux. Alante Brown is still new to the wide receiver spot. Um, so I'm going to uh, double down on Wandale Robinson uh, as, as my guy that's going to lead Nebraska receiving. He was second in catches, second in yards last season while missing two full games and a chunk of the third uh, while splitting time at running back. And so I will go with Wandale Robinson, uh, who's going, who I believe is going to have a ton of opportunities to – catch the ball in space and make plays. And that uh, is, is who I believe will lead Nebraska in receiving yardage this year. Makes sense. That's probably the smartest pick. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I've, I've never had a strong feeling that JD Spielman was going to come back. Um, and I still don't with Omar, Man- Omar Manning is the guy I would probably pick in normal circumstances. And I'm just going to, I'm going to let it ride. I'm going to go Omar Manning and say, this gets, you know, it's figured out. He's here somehow, some way. And, uh, and he is lives up to the hype. So that's, that's a lot of ifs that he has to uh, overcome there. You know, first you got to get here and then you got to be what everybody says you are. Uh, I actually think he could be that. So it's just a matter to me of him getting here. Uh, but it's a t- this is a tough question because of all these reasons. It's it's it. This will be one of the hardest hypotheticals we do on if we continue with this series, as I think we will. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna go, maybe the biggest long shot, out of the the group. I'm gonna go Alante Brown. He's never played college football. He's never played college wide receiver. He spent one year at wide receiver at St. Thomas More Prep. And he played quarterback before that at Simeon in Chicago. And I feel like we've seen other teams around the country have guys that step in, step up, and produce. He is a really good player. People forget he's a four-star wide receiver. People forget he was recruited to play for Texas Tech and Michigan State, and initially grades didn't allow him to do that, and so he had to go to prep school. This is a guy that has been here – since January, or at least started in January, and he didn't get a whole lot of practice time in. But he's a very good athlete, and I think that they will find ways to get him the ball. I think that he can have a lot of success. I just – we see it happen with other teams, and it rarely seems to happen with Nebraska. But I guess I wouldn't be completely shocked if Elante Brown lives up to, um, you know, the the sort of hype that I guess – is attached to his playmaking ability. And 
he's not the biggest guy. He's not going to go up and fight people in the air for the ball, but he's going to make plays. And in an offense that can thrive in short, quick passes, he's someone that you can get him the ball and let his, uh, you know, yards after catch do some of the work too. So I, I'm going to go up Olante Brown, but I fully acknowledge that I expect to be wrong. But I think he's going to be really good. I do. Sort of a sidebar to this, and maybe we don't want to answer this because you could actually make it its own topic, is which tight end will have the most receiving yards. But if you wanted to take a variation of that question, um, do you see a tight end fitting in maybe the top two or three of receiving yards? Where, would, where do you think the top tight end fits in the pecking order of receiving yards of everybody? I mean, I could easily see a tight end be the second or third in terms of receiving in this offense, uh, especially if they, you know, run into snags with either Omar Manning or Xavier Betts. And so I, I considered briefly Travis Vokalek, but it was hard for me to try to come up with what that number would have to be and then to, to project that when we haven't seen tight ends use enough in the offense – in Every so year. It's been 84 oh, years. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it basically, I can't – I couldn't – I have more confidence that Elante Brown would step in as a freshman and lead the team in receiving than I do that Travis Vokalek would have enough activity to put up the yards and receptions necessary to, to lead the team in receiving. But I, I think he could very easily be second or third. And, yes, I continue to think it's going to be Travis Vokalek. I think that Jack Stoll will lead in, in numbers of catches for tight ends, but I think Vokalek will outgain him in yards. Whoa. They're just going to throw that one <laughs> That's yard. That's an oddly specific. The tunnel screen that doesn't make any sense to a slow tight end. No, the, the, the quick curl where the, the ball hits him right in the hip where he has to kind of slow his momentum and then gets pulled down for a two-yard gain. That's That's the – that's how you amass some yard or some uh, catches if you're Jack Stoll. All right. Any final thoughts here? None for me. Front? Uh, no, I'm good. I have one final thought. Brunt did this entire podcast while wearing a baseball jersey. If anyone in America can guess what baseball jersey Brunt's wore while doing this podcast because you didn't say what it was at any point during the show right uh no during the break but that's it i will pay for your membership on husker 24 7 if you can get this right for the next calendar year player two uh it doesn't have to get the player just has to get the team okay and then if anybody gets it right we will reveal it on the next podcast if they don't, we'll reveal it anyways. They can also have a car, too. <laughs> the, the car has more financial value than the uh, – the No, they can, they can have it. I, I, seriously, they can have the car, too, so if they can get it. This is where your negotiating skills are bad. You went for getting $700 for the car, and now you're just giving it away? Nobody's going to get that car. They're not going to get it. That's why you're co- – nobody's going to get this answer. I would be pumped if they did. I'd be impressed. First yeah, person. It can't be multiple. It's the first person that does it. You can message any one of the three of us on the site, send us a PM, whatever your guess is of the team. If you don't get it right, you won't get a response, et cetera. But you'll find out on the next podcast. All right, that is us with Husker 24-7. Thank you for checking out our stuff on the website. 
Uh, I don't know when this is going to get posted, but if it gets posted today, we got a 75% off on a membership right now. Be a great time to sign up or just guess whatever jersey Brunts is wearing. Then you get a membership for free. We'll catch you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.